Welcome to another round, the podcast that gives you an insight into brewing. My name is, as always, Yonidar, and with me from Arizona, Andrew Walter. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So um, today, uh, I, I got to admit, a little bit of a of, of a selfish interview because uh, the the beers you're making and the place you're making it at uh, is uh, highly um, highly interesting to me. So I appreciate you taking off uh, a little bit of time from. Uh, what I can only imagine is a, a quite a, a busy time. It's getting busier. Yeah, that's, <laughs> which it's good to good hear. Good problem to have. Yeah, that, that's that's for sure. And nothing is given at the at this time of the year. Um, but uh, let's start off a little bit. You are now the the brewmaster at the um, Torito Farm uh, in Arizona. Uh, but a little bit, just a quick little introduction of you. What is your uh, sort of background? Um, well, I started uh, I started home brewing kind of early in life. Um, and quickly caught interest. And so I started looking at um, brewing education and how I could, um, you know, get involved in the brewing industry. So from there, I found the American Brewers Guild, which is based out of Vermont. Um, it's an online program that we went through with an internship. Um, after that, I ended up at uh, Left Hand Brewing Company in Colorado. I was there for a few years. Um, after that, I ended up at uh, Trogues Brewing Company for about six years, and that's in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and they they brew a lot of good beer, a lot mm. of beer. It was fun um, really getting to brew on that system. It's a 100-barrel Browcon brew house, and uh, they have like 16-plus thousand-barrel fermenters. So it was quite the facility to get to work at and like really – really know how, um, uh, really learn how to make high quality beer. Um, I can't imagine. Yeah. So was there for about six years and then, um, we, uh, my wife and I wanted to travel a little bit and we hit the road, um, and tra- traveled all around the U S for a couple of years and, uh, ended up, um, out in Benson, Arizona with some family where I found, uh, a job at Tombstone Brewing Company, um, in Tombstone, Arizona for a few months. Um, and then uh, from there, I got in contact with Sal Torito, a Torito farm, and um, decided to come on board um, here where I'm at and uh, get their brewing facility up and running. The, I thought the the farm and everything they had going on was like pretty incredible. And so I wanted to be a part of that and uh, try and uh, get some really good beer brewed in Wilcox, Arizona. Yeah, because uh, the the brewers that you're mentioning, uh, I can imagine the, the variety of styles and uh, flavors needed to be created is is quite tremendously broad. Uh, so the, the the question is, um, you mentioned it a little bit before we started recording that sort of lager beers is uh, a little bit of a, a passion. It's stated on the website as well that uh, your favorite uh, beer to make is uh, is a pilsner, which which to me make a hundred percent sense, but uh, what is, why do you love like a, a clean, good lager? Um, I suppose it has something to do with uh, like, I guess the way my approach to Pilsner is like a high technique, um, low amount of inputs. And so I'm mm. um, trying to rely on mash schedules and spooning and proper lagering techniques to help develop flavor rather than just like throwing all sorts of ingredients at it to try and get what I want. 
So a little bit more process driven. Yes, more process driven. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Uh, are you at the so a little bit about the the brew house that you're working on? Uh, are you able to do any decoction mashing or? Yes, I am. So it's a uh, three vessel, ten barrel brew house, um, and it has a a dedicated mash kettle, louder ton, uh, boil kettle, whirlpool, and so with that that designated mash kettle. Um, I'm able to do a single decoction at the end of my mash schedule. Um, and so I've incorporated that into a few beers already. Um, I brewed a, a Doppelbach, um, and I did a little Southwest twist on it, added some agave nectar, and it's right now yeah. being aged in uh, mezcal and sodal barrels. Um, but I, not, not bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for that one. Um, still sitting in barrels, so we'll see how that turns out. But um, in that mash schedule, I was able to do a single decoction. And then more recently, um, I did a, a Czech-style dark lager um, with a single decoction on that one as well. Nice. That is a style you don't see uh, see much, even here in Europe. Yeah. Um, I It seems to be gaining some popularity around here. There's um cohesion brewing company out of Denver that solely focuses on uh, Czech styles. So um, I oh. happen to be just passing through um, the Denver area and uh, tried their uh, cohesion 14. Um, I won't even try and pronounce the <laughs> the Czech pronunciation of it, um, but it was just so good. I decided I, I was like, I need to brew one of these beers. And so of course I dived in mm. and tried to find all the, um, information about it that I could, and I've, hopefully, I think I pulled it off. It's tasting really good. Yeah, I think yeah, I think those the darker the darker lagers are, are quite underrated, like in general in the beer world, especially for those who um, who are not in like classic beer countries like Czech Republic or or Germany or anything. A um, little bit of a side note in Norway. Uh, actually, the what is known to be "quote unquote" the the Christmas beer is actually a double bock. Um, long story short, it was um, it was a, a brewer at the biggest brewery in Norway who uh, were allowed to make strong beers for Christmas and ended up with a, a double bock, which is now sort of the go-to for the majority of the Norwegian population for their Christmas beers. So. Uh, so at at this moment we're recording this in December. Uh, I've had my fair share of double box, but usually it's not it's not a very common style to see anywhere. So, but I but I liked it. You meant you mentioned uh, Sal a little bit uh, uh, earlier on here, and uh, Yuri, his wife um, uh, as well. They are are the founders behind um, uh, Torito Farm. Uh, started there uh, to work on the farm in 2015, but only opened in April of this year. Um, how, how much of the, the, the building process were you, have you been a part of? Um, I wasn't so much a part of, uh, much of the building process. I only came on, um, at Torito farm in February. So less than a year ago here. Mm. Um, but from what I understand, it was quite the, um, building process. The main building itself is built of like 12 concrete domes all interconnected together. And then on top of that, there's a layer of insulation, a layer of dirt, and then a layer of um, quarry rock came from some of the mines around us. Mm. Um, and I can't remember exactly how much weight, but I'm told like something like two million pounds. It could be more of like dirt and rock oh. on top of the building. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it says it's actually says on the website is twelve million. Pounds. Oh, I was way off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, it it all seems like a very uh, it all seems like a very unique setup and uh, something I haven't haven't seen that much and um, never been to Wilcox, but just looking at the map, it doesn't seem to be like the most central place. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but agro tourism that's really what it's going for because you're you are in charge of of the brewing but it's quite a, a big operation with the farm yeah so um along with the brewery there's the tasting room restaurant um there's a dairy which also supplies a creamery where we make our own cheese and then of course like the whole farm we have um gardeners that are growing vegetables and herbs for the restaurant um there's all sorts of like i think it's like 18,000 grapevines there uh, there's yeah. apple, pecan, peach trees. Um, I don't, we've been talking about putting in a hop yard so we can start uh, growing our own hops for fresh, wet hop beers. Mm. Um, and then possibly like uh, using those hops beyond that even. So that's another mm. project that's coming up. Um, but the brewery, this all the spent grain goes to supply the dairy cows. Um and so it, it it all really works together at the farm. And so, are you able to use any of the the stuff that you grow yourself as well in uh, in the production? Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Mm. There's um, next year. I'm looking at having them grow some pumpkins so we can do a pumpkin beer um, around the fall, um, as well as uh, growing some ginger. Um, I've already I used some uh, fresh yeah. ginger in our. A holiday beer this year but also like going further i'd like to do like a ginger pale ale sort of thing i feel, I feel like it's a nice flavor that pairs and pairs well with beer um and those are just a, a few things that we kind of have on our radar um mm. that we're we've been talking about and it's only more to come so uh, f uh from my understanding of course you you have a little bit of, of distribution in arizona as well but um uh, from my understanding, the, the majority of focus is to make beers that can be used uh, at the farm, at the at the restaurant, and in, in the shop, right? Um, yes and no. Like as we're growing, we're um, getting a larger distribution footprint in uh, Tucson and moving into Phoenix, um, and we're seeing some uh, some of our beers um, having great success, like in those markets, and uh, so some of the lagers that we're we're brewing. Um, are turning out to be really successful in those markets. And so we're brewing a lot of uh, like a Hellas lager and uh, what we're calling Cerveza Cobre, which is a Mexican style amber lager. So do you think, uh, it, because this is something I, I find uh, quite interesting, the the fact that you can almost use beer as a form of, of branding, because if you look at, at the labels, um, yeah, you will see uh, Torito Farm right on the labels on every, uh, every can um how have you have you ever had anyone walk to the door and saying oh i've had your beer in in phoenix and uh now i'm here to try it directly from the source uh yeah actually um we've been uh, at a few beer festivals and uh like talking to people there and introducing them to the beer and then uh like a week or two later i'll see them down at the uh down at the farm like oh hey how are you doing hmm. thanks for coming out <laughs> nice 
so how um, how do you work together with the with the uh, the restaurant to sort of uh, uh, make sure that the beer is is um, uh, helping the food and vice versa? Uh, what is your sort of approach? Is it the uh, are you <laughs> are you like a dictator just making the beers that you want and then the sh- the chefs have to do their thing or how, how do you collaborate to to make a good uh, pairing happen? Um, right now we've been, uh, just kind of concentrating on, um, like I'll, I'll brew, I'll brew a beer and I'll talk to the chef and we'll find a menu item that we can, that pairs well with it. Um, Mm. but, um, chef Jeff and I, we've been talking about, uh, baking some breads and being able to put those in the mash tun. Um, we have a really nice, uh, fire brick oven in the kitchen to be able to do like a hard crust bread to put in there. Mm. Um, and also we were, we're uh, talking about doing some uh, beer dinners. And so we're, we're coming up with oh. a special menu to pair with our beers. Sound, sounds nice. Also, it sounds um, uh, quite sustainable. You being able to, to use almost full circle in terms of, yeah, I don't know if you, you grow your own barley, but at the very least, uh, the mash is going to to the cows, and then you have the dairy products, which I only assume being uh, served at the at the restaurant. So, sustainability seems to be a, a way of operating at uh, uh, Torito. Yeah, that's um, one of our key goals. Something we focus on is the sustainability that we have there, and that's always an ongoing effort. Um, like the the mm. better and more sustainable we can be, um, the better it is for the farm, the environment, our neighbors. Um, one, one thing that I focus on, on sustainability in the, uh, brew house is, like I said, um, uh, taking that spent grain to the cows and being fed for supplying the milk and the cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, also we do side stream some, uh, brewery waste and, uh, water, some parts of our compost or, uh, some parts of the field with um, brewery waste. I think that's a, a more and more important thing for uh, for breweries to do, even uh, even if they're they're smaller manufacturers. Uh, you you've been working with some of the the, the bigger uh, breweries as well. Uh, of course, everything uh, depends on what kind of ice are looking at, big and small. But um, uh, you have any suggestions what a, a smaller brewery or manufacturer can do to be more sustainable in the way of operation without sort of breaking the bank? The biggest thing we could focus on in breweries is probably water usage. Um, mm. So instead of, you know, you're spraying down your floors, um, grab a broom instead. That's a, a way to, yeah. an easy way to save water to clean up. Um, also, I, I look at like how much water is going into like, say the louder ton during sparge into reduce the amount of waste coming out or wastewater coming out of our louder ton. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of, actually all our brewing water um, goes through a reverse osmosis filter. And so um, okay. just trying to uh, balance out that water usage. So um, we're not like overusing our uh, filtered processed RO water. Is there a particular reason why you, uh, why you do it that way or? Just for more control. Um, I kind of look at it as like uh, the water, the water coming in since it has to be treated. Um, 
like I think of that as a, a raw material and it's not like a, sorry. It's not a raw material that I would say is uh, like abundantly available. At least that's the way I look mm. at it out here in the desert. Like I try and limit control water usage. Um, so I'm only using the exact amount of water that I need as opposed to overusing water. Yeah, it, uh, it's a little bit more scarce in, in Arizona than uh, a couple of other places I can <laughs> can think of, like half, half of Norway or mm-hmm. <laughs> at, the mo- at the moment at least. Yeah, so. and out at the farm we're on uh, well water. One thing, of course, uh, which um, maybe plays a role in there, and I'm a little bit curious uh, uh, what you have to say in, in terms of that, is uh, both, uh, of course, with Arizona having, we talked about it now, it's, uh, it's around... Uh, 35, 40 Fahrenheit, so uh, three to five degrees Celsius now. But of course, the it's a desert, so it is really, really hot uh, at times as well. Uh, how does something like the temperature swings and the high elevation uh, affect something like fermentation or just in general the brewing process? I haven't noticed any um, anything about the fermentation side of things. Uh, however... During the summer months, when it's really warm, my uh, knockout water isn't so cool, and so it makes um, knocking out all those lager beers a little little more difficult. Um, And then also um, the humidity swings, like during the monsoon seasons, it can be um, rather humid, but um, other times of year, it's quite dry. And so I see a difference in my evaporation rate out of my boil kettle. I, th- I think that's maybe uh, that's maybe uh, an interesting thing to take into consideration as as well in terms of what kind of styles to brew uh, as well. Are you more of a seasonal uh, brewery or are you going more towards um, uh, having a core range and then just making a few uh, uh, specialties in between? Uh, right now, it's kind of looking like things are turning and we'll have our core brands and then um, add in some seasonals as we go on. Um, Right now, I, I mentioned the two that we have um, available around this time of year. We did our holiday ale, and that was um, it's just actually a simple amber ale brewed with orange blossom honey and some uh, fresh ginger juice. Mm. But it pairs quite nicely with pumpkin pie. And then the other, the other seasonal we have out, or we're getting out, is that Czech dark lager. Um, before that, I brewed a traditional uh, Merits and Oktoberfest. And that one also featured as, a decoction. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's the only way to make a proper a proper Martin in my in my eyes, at least. Absolutely, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so so uh, before we wrap things up here, I, I think uh, first of all, I find it very very interesting, very fascinating the the all round thought of having a having a farm, making it the the way that that you do it now with. Uh, Everything from the dairy production to the brewing to actually serving it to a plate towards the the customer. What is you have any uh, any goals or plans or something you would like to share with us that is coming in for Torito Farm in in twenty twenty three? Goals or plans in twenty more beer, more beer brewed. More beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good plan. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
All right. Well, Andrew, uh, I just want to say thank you for for taking the time to talk to us. I know it's uh, it's both early in the morning and also you're it's a busy time. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I also want to yeah, take take a second to say that um, I know of you from a different world outside the beer world, and I know you as the frizz beer guy. <laughs> No way. Way. <laughs> We're Instagram <laughs> friends. I, w- I was I was not uh, I was not expecting that, but yeah, that's true. I uh, uh I had uh, I only had one life for 10 years and that was only beer in different kind of formats and then I found uh, frisbee golf, so or disc golf as it's called in the, in the US and uh, that is my second thing, but I am also known for beer in uh, in the disc golf world as well, <laughs> so that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Well, that just gives me uh, yet another reason to want to to come and visit you in uh, <laughs> in the future. Then I guess. Yeah, please do. Tucson's um, got a good disc golf scene, and and good beer, and good beer. <laughs> Fantastic, Andrew. Thank you very much for the talk. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming with me to Arizona and talking to Andrew over at Torito Farm. Don't forget to subscribe to get all the episode of this very first season of Another Round with Plato. And uh, as always, sharing is caring. So do feel free to share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, have fun, drink well, and take care. Mm-hmm.